The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. Welcome to this What's Working in Washington Extra. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Great to have you with us. Uh, I've been watching very interestedly over the last few months, being a technologist, it seems to me that tech may be hitting peak tech. It may be that uh, the happy days are over for a lot of innovative companies, particularly larger ones. And this is something that's been troubling me. And because I have this great platform and opportunity, great get smart people in to talk with me about this. We're going to talk about that today. Has big tech reached peak tech? Here in the studio with me is James Moore. He is the founder and CEO of the newly launched Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society. The Institute's dedicated to addressing challenging issues facing the intersection of business, government, and society, particularly as it relates to technology and innovation. Jim has a distinguished career as a policy shaper and maker, both inside and outside of the government, and I'm really looking forward to your expertise. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Our next guest is Candy Parsons. Candy is a shareholder with Zwilgen, a privacy and data security boutique law firm here in town where she specializes in privacy, security, and advertising issues and has a particular core expertise working with the FTC on behalf of clients to manage risk and support corporate growth. Candy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Richard Levick, a regular guest here on these segments. He is the founder of Levick, an international crisis communications firm with a focus on technology issues and innovation. Richard is a regular commentator on many of the things we talk about in the show with respect to technology and innovation. Richard, it's always great to have you here. Jonathan, great to be back. Well, as promised, uh, you're going to either talk me down or, or cause me to short all my technology stocks, but let's uh, let's have a conversation. What What's your first impression? Uh, are you seeing the same things I'm, I'm seeing? Is, is big tech sort of hitting a peak right now? Well, certainly big tech is under increasing pressure. And when I looked at the topic of this show, is the party over? I looked back to see, well, how many times have we asked this question? And it turns out there are articles and press releases going back to the mid-2010s, 2015, 2016, 17, 18. Is the honeymoon over? So it's long been predicted it's over. There's um, an increasing interest from international and federal regulators and on the Hill and on a broader array of topics than I think we've seen in the past. So tech is not over, but big tech may um, feel some increasing pressure and Congress may actually do some things that they haven't had the leverage to do before because there weren't so many controversies surrounding big tech and there was so much, there was a love affair with big tech. And I think that that has tempered a decent amount. But I don't think we're going to see the end of big technology companies as we know them. How disappointing. I hate <laughs> I hate those scooters. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Jim, what do you think? I think we're in the process of um, seeing the beginning of a high-tech train wreck. We've been watching for such a long period of time tech grow and grow and grow with little being said uh, from Washington, D.C., that we're coming now to a point where Washington is going to have to do something. Um, government uh, and business uh, is having a tremendous impact on how society is going to be dealing with technology into, into the future. It's uh, regrettable from the standpoint of Silicon Valley that one of its leading uh, figures, <clears throat> namely Mark Zuckerberg, used as his tagline, 
uh, move quickly and break things. And so I think Washington now is sitting back and trying to figure out exactly what's been broken, trying to do something to uh, be able to address that. But when you have worldwide companies that are trying to invest in our companies, uh, to be able to see that governments are engaged in trying to tap into the elections of democratic uh, countries, um, it is clear that we are entering into a brand new age in which the question is whether our government leaders, our policy makers, are up to the task of being, first of all, able to identify and define exactly what the situation is, let alone being able to address it in some uh, substantive way. Richard, you and I and other shows, other times, we've talked about fake news. We've talked about manipulation of elections. Uh, I know that you're really concerned about technology from that from that standpoint. Is that what's shaping the current environment? Is it sort of the final backlash against these things? You know, I'm first of all, I don't think it's a final backlash. Uh, you, you know, I have to admit, listening to Candy, and she used a phrase, having all the times I've been on the show I've never heard before, which when she said, in preparing for the show. So I think that's so <laughs> great that people <laughs> have that confidence undermining our credibility of our listeners, Richard. But, but you know, I, I think a couple of things. One, big tech clearly sees this as different. Big tech, for the first time as of two years ago, hires more lobbyists than all of Wall Street. And that is, uh, that's a remarkable change. I think they see it as different. There's nearly 300 lobbyists being hired just for the FANG, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's a change. Two, there is a bipartisan approach. And in this environment, to have bipartisan opposition is also uh, extraordinary. And we're just moving into an election. Three, we had big tech on Mount Rushmore. They were the gods of Mount Olympus just a couple of years ago. And Google, uh, do no evil, Facebook, just uh, break things. All of those things were taken tongue-in-cheek and in the best possible light. No more. We are much more concerned. I think it's not so much elections. So few people in this country vote that I think that the – invasion of democracy in India and Myanmar, obviously here in a number of other countries, is not nearly as concerning, even though it should be, as the surveillance economy which we've entered into. Are we the customer? No. Are we uh, even the product? Probably not. I think we're being reduced down to the information. It's the ability to predict what we're going to do next, and that scares all of us. I think what's fascinating for me, uh, having cut my teeth in the venture industry here in, in Silicon Valley is that uh, a lot of the things, you know, move fast, break things, uh, don't be evil, really comes out of the hacker culture. You know, the the, the people, Jobs and, and uh, Wozniak and others who were sitting in their garages and basically invented technology uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. And that was very much an open source, collective, collaborative structure, very anti-establishment, anti-rules. And it seems like somewhere along the way, it went from a idealistic, positive thing, perhaps, to an excuse for not complying with regulation and rules. Is that a fair assumption? I think that's somewhat fair. I agree with Richard that I don't think the election question is going to be the thing that moves Congress because that is a partisan issue. Um, but where the bipartisan component is um, the antitrust issues, the inability for smaller businesses to innovate where four or five large businesses are controlling issues and not necessarily complying with regulations in the framework that currently exists. And 
right now we see tech companies go on the hill and they do their dog and pony show, but then nothing really changes. Um, and creating consumers as the product or making us the information um, has created a great deal of concern. I think Cambridge Analytica was more of the turning point than actually the election interference. And in that way, we saw Facebook do very little in response to that, give a lot of lip service to it. And I think that has a number of regulators concerned. And there was a recent report that the FTC has settled um, a case against Facebook for $5 billion. And wow, that sounds like a huge number, but a number of people on the Hill are saying that's nothing for Facebook. That's a drop in the bucket, and they want to see Mark Zuckerberg on the order. They want to see these CEOs held to task, and I think that that is not necessarily going to satisfy a number of lawmakers and policymakers as enough given the amount of power that these technology companies have. The question is, in the current political environment, um, will these bipartisan forces actually come together to do anything about these concerns that they have, these antitrust concerns, these privacy concerns. Candy, that is a great place for us to take a little break. When we come back after the break, I'd like to continue the conversation and turn to helping our listeners understand, because while there may be, quote, bipartisanship, I think there's very different views of what regulation looks like on different parts of the aisle. And I also think that we should unpack a little bit the difference between privacy concerns and market concerns. So we're here at What's Working in Washington. We'll be right back after the break. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. And we're back, and it's What's Working in Washington Extra. I'm here in the studio talking about whether or not the party is over for tech with Jim Moore, founder CEO of Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society, Kenny Parsons, a shareholder with Zwilgen, and Richard Levick, founder of Levick. For the break, uh, I asked for uh, an opportunity for us to unpack for everybody all these different trends. You know, we talk about bipartisan. My understanding is the Republicans have a very different view of why we should regulate the tech companies than the Democrats and progressives do. Anybody want to comment on that? Well, I think, first of all, everybody is in agreement, which is a rare thing in Washington these days, that there needs to be some kind of a of a resolution of, of uh, how best to deal with uh, high-tech companies and what's uh, been transpiring. I, at one point, uh, uh, was very much involved in the U.S. government during the Reagan years of being able to oversee uh, all of U.S. industry at home and abroad. And in those days, uh, tech was just beginning to uh, come into its own. It's amazing. In, in those days, as the high-tech companies were coming, coming into play, uh, companies like Amazon and Google, et cetera, uh, if they had any presence in Washington, it essentially was a law firm with a shingle out saying, hey, we represent that particular company. There, there simply were no full-time employees that were coming in from the Silicon Valley to be able to deal with Washington. Now today, for example, Uber has 300 people just based here in Washington, D.C. to be able to understand what is happening. But as much as the high-tech companies have come to the conclusion that they need to be able to deal with Washington – 
Washington hasn't quite figured out how to be able to deal with the high-tech industry. It was extraordinary to see Mark Zuckerberg uh, not too terribly long ago uh, address uh, a committee in the United States Senate uh, to senators, some of whom I don't think ever turned on a computer, trying to figure out how the model worked for a company like uh, 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 Facebook in being able to generate revenues. And so uh, trying to figure out how to be able to address this, I don't think Congress is in a position at the moment to even understand the problem, let alone address it. One of the things that we're doing at the Washington Institute, for example, is to be able to provide a safe haven in which we're going to be trying to bring together uh, policy leaders, both in the executive branch and the legislative branch, together in the offices of companies like Facebook and Uber and the rest, to be able just to talk about the current situation so that it's not just congressional hearings, it's not just uh, in the courtroom, that there can be an understanding between government leaders as well as the high-tech industry to be able to understand exactly what it is that we're all going through. Because at the end of the day, the decisions that are made both by the tech companies and government is going to have a tremendous impact on society. So here's my hypothesis uh, and why I think that this may be different from other times. Because, uh, Candy, I agree with your, your earlier comment. We've been talking about the end of tech for since the beginning of time, right? What I think is different now is there are certain aspects of it that people who don't understand technology can understand the outcomes. For example, I think that people have an uh, inherent understanding of market power and when they're paying too much or when they don't have choice. I mean, the consumers feel that. Uh, and I also think that people also get a sense of when their businesses can't grow because they're being preyed upon. I think back to railroads, for example, which eventually got regulated back in the uh, 19th century. And then I also think that people now are physically almost offended by the idea that their privacy is is being invaded. So, and Candy, you're, you're at the... You have clients who have to explain their businesses to regulators, and you're in Congress, and and, and Richard, you're doing this as well. Am, am I right that it, this is becoming a populist issue? You know, you don't have to be a technologist to be angry anymore. It is somewhat. On the market power issue, it's interesting because some of the big technology companies are actually providing right now consumers better prices and more options than the way we historically think of monopolistic power. Um, and so there is an interesting theory in antitrust right now called hipster antitrust, which is that a company can be providing lower prices to consumers and still be doing damage to the economy and to the market and to other um, small businesses. And that's where you hear um, candidates like Elizabeth Warren talking about whether or not companies that operate a platform should also be able to offer products on that platform. And that's a question we should consider. So here, you don't have a lot of outrage from consumers, for example, at Amazon, because they can get whatever they want as fast as they want at really low prices. But where you have some outrages at smaller businesses that are struggling to deal with them. So there's some conflicting balance there. But certainly on the privacy front, for a long time, consumers didn't care that they were the product or that their information was the price of using the free, quote unquote, free product. Um, now, given the increasing surveillance state, the understanding that governments may be getting into that information, the creepiness factor, um, and frankly, the fact that other countries um, or continents in this instance, like Europe, have said, wait a minute, privacy is a bit of a human right. There's more of a 
common language around this. And you are starting to see people say, wait a minute, Facebook or Google shouldn't be able to do anything and everything with my information. But younger consumers still want these products. They are integrated into every day and moment of their lives. And I think that's where you're not seeing, you know, quite the populist uprising. You have leaders who don't understand or use these products. Um, And so there's a disconnect right now. I think probably tech leaders aren't super concerned because I think they know that these are integrated into everyone's lives and the solutions will be small um, and they'll be able to deal with them. And I will say a number of tech companies, big and small, would like to see regulators do something. They would like a more level playing field. And there are some businesses that that um, compete on privacy that say, hey, we don't need our, – our product isn't data. Our product is this product, and we're happy to protect your data. So there are a number of com- competing issues there. Um, I do think it's more populist. But it's it's a conflicted populist position because it's so integrated into our lives. It also sounds to me, I mean, just with the small example you gave of antitrust, where if you do an analysis based upon pricing, that may not be the right regulatory uh, uh, tool to use these right. days. Richard, you're you're a recovering lawyer like me, and you deal with business people all the time. Do you think that it's a failure of the regulatory environment? It's just we're trying to regulate railroads or <laughs> the, the buggy whips or. Is it a lack of sophistication? What do you see when you're trying to help people manage this? Or, or all of those things. Okay. I don't think it's a big tech's ability yet to self-regulate. We don't see them coming forward with, in most cases, uh, with more than empty promises. And I think Mark Zuckerberg leads that. If you look at last spring when he testified before Congress, although he got high marks for not wearing a black T-shirt uh, and you know appearing to answer questions, I, lack of confidence spiked to 83% of Americans right after that. And I think it says that people no longer trust them. Their trust bank is out. Two, although there seems to be some bipartisan uh, approach for partisan reasons, uh, but that's not going to be enough to have good policy. If we look at the robber barons of a century ago, no one confused kerosene, fireproof kerosene, railroads, or steel with us, with that is with, with the human being. We now don't know and increasingly don't know where does technology end and humanity begin or vice versa. The fact that the Nest product or the Alexa in our kitchen can tell us what we're thinking or what we're going to purchase next is only the beginning of a level of artificial intelligence. And in terms of anger, the AI revolution is at its nascency. We're about to lose 77,000 truck drivers, about 3 million other drivers, taxi drivers, uh, bus drivers. What will that do in terms of a level of anger? And I think all of us, even though those of us who I think feel, quote unquote, safe in a white collar uh, position, we're going to look at dramatic changes in our lifetimes. And quite frankly, when was the last time we had an unemployment rate of 3.5, and people were unhappy? They were concerned. They were fearful. And I believe it's because of what we see coming next, which none of us know how to control and don't have faith that we can regulate our way out of. So, okay, here we go. When we come back after the break, what I've heard so far, I'm thinking is the rules might not be the right rules anymore. Maybe lack of understanding, a lot of anger. I don't know, guys. It feels to me like a crack up's coming. So we'll come back after the break and we'll talk about that here on What's Working in Washington Extra. 
Is the bubble ending? Is tech, has tech jumped the shark? Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. We hear the What's Working in Washington Extra talking about whether or not tech has finally hit peak. Jim, I'm going to turn to you first. What do you think is going to happen in 2020? Is this all going to come to a head? Is the election going to make a difference? In terms of high technology, no. I think it's great for people like Elizabeth Warren to come out with a whole lot of policy papers and to be able to uh, distribute them. But the notion that the American people are somehow going to absorb themselves into the pros and cons of where we are right now in high technology, I think, is terribly misplaced. Um, uh, at the end of the day, you know, if you were to ask, um, and I'm very much a part right now of a organization, the CEO Council of the Wall Street Journal. If you were to survey those individuals, and that includes folks like Rupert Murdoch and, and Henry Kravis of KKR and the founder of Federal, Federal Express, what their greatest single concern is, they would by far tell you it was worker displacement. They're genuinely concerned about the fact that high technology is playing a critical part, uh, is a critical player in what the future economy is going to look like. The notion that somehow if a auto worker in Detroit loses his or her job is somehow a job to be picked up in Mexico or China is absolutely wrong. Um, it, is, it is really artificial intelligence. It's innovation, create, creativity in the tech industry that is allowing for those people to lose their jobs. Well, the, the number one area within the economy that is going to be displaced first are going to be truck drivers. Um, that, that has been conclusive. And so, but the truck drivers right now are kind of beginning to understand that, but they're not going to understand that until they get their pink slips. And let's put a point on that. Truck driving is the number one place that middle-class people go to make a good living. It is not just, uh, uh, I mean, there are millions of people involved in the trucking industry. <laughs> Years ago, I had a, a national radio show. A lot of people called in were truck drivers. And as I got to know them, this is a big problem. But the point is, is that we're not there yet. We're looking into the future, and we can see from our from our globes uh, in, in, as to what our fortunes will be in the future that that is going to be a very serious problem. But until it hits, we're really at at the beginning of this journey. So here we go, Candy. We we talked about this in the last segment a little bit. Now we've got a situation where where Jim just said the biggest problem we're facing is not privacy, right. it's not antitrust, it's it's job displacement. I don't remember seeing any regulation of that. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, we all know how con good Congress is at looking forward into the future and solving a problem in advance and, and preparing for it, right? That must be, you must have been <laughs> on a turn of reality show. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, dimension. there are there are solutions. Um, they may not be um, a one-size-fits-all solution, but we have had major technology revolutions in our the history of our country. And we may not have seen the likes of these, but the Industrial Revolution, the invention of the car, there were things that changed the manufacturing line. There were things that changed and affected jobs. And we hear candidates talk about these issues all the time, but the idea that we could give the truck drivers or other types of employees skills to move them into new segments of the economy is a way to address this coming revolution. 
but we actually have to do it. And tech companies could play a role in that. There are a number of things that tech companies are doing that are innovating, and they need people to to do that. Every child should be learning coding. Well, that's great for children, but what about the people who have jobs right now? Well, that can be learned too. So, uh, you know, I'm an optimist by nature. I think there are ways to solve these problems, but it needs to be a collaboration, not only between our government, but, but between the companies that are going to rely on um, other people to build their technologies. It's not all going to be AI. Someone has to code the AI. Someone has to develop these tools. So with that in mind, before I turn it to Richard, uh, does that mean that you don't think that antitrust or privacy legislation is going to really consume enough mindshare to happen after this election? Um, I, I tend to think there will be some sort of federal privacy legislation within the next couple of years. Um, a number of people think it won't happen because the states have gotten into play and and that Congress will ultimately just let the states play it out and there will be 50 different laws that, that tech companies, who quite frankly many of them provide good services, will have to grapple with. But I think the feds will step in in a Band-Aid type way. Richard, what do you think? Is, uh, is the party over? Well, you know, I'm an optimist, too. I think I'm down to three Xanax a day. Uh, <laughs> you know, Stephen Hawkins asked the question, which was, we are going to see in our lifetimes, we already are, machines building machines, tech building tech. But he also said the next phase is when machines can build technology better than we can. And that raises the question of what is our purpose. So yes, we're talking about truck drivers, but to Candy's point about Congress being unable to look forward, are we able to look forward far enough? Not only are truck drivers threatened, but the next range of jobs that are threatened are high-tech, mid-level jobs. And all those kids being taught coding are going to be replaced by technology, which is doing the coding for them. So, you know, I am afraid. I'm very afraid. I think we'll find the answers, but I don't know what they are. And I don't think, to Jim's point, we're hearing them for the 2020 election cycle. I do think that litigation is going to be a big place we're going to see change. I've talked about it on this program before. I think the Myanmar election in, uh, uh, and the litigation that has followed in terms of Facebook being responsible for its content, I think that may very well shake the industry because these empty promises of trust us, we'll fix it, it doesn't work anymore. No one does trust them, but it, they don't, haven't yet faced the wrath of responsibility, and that may force some changes as well. You know, if you go back in time for a moment, uh, imagine what it must have been like for those candlestick makers realizing that light bulb manufacturers were coming into existence. Um, the notion that somehow... They could stand and say, don't you dare let one of our jobs go by the wayside. These guys are a threat to us. It simply wasn't going to happen. Light bulbs were going to come in uh, to existence, period. And as a result, we should have been thinking about, uh, we should be thinking today in that same, using that same example of trade adjustment assistance, being able to anticipate what the job market's going to look like in the future and address it that way. This is really wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time to inform me and our listeners. Jim Moore, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Andy Parsons, thank you as well. Thank you. Richard Levick, as always, thanks for coming in and organizing another great panel for us on What's Working. Thanks so much. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. Tweet us at at What's Working DC and tell us what you think of the show. Don't forget to like us on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.